Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. If you're visiting with us, we're just so glad you're here. Thank you for visiting. Um, the three things that we want visitors to understand or receive or experience when they come to church. Number one is grace. God's not about rules. He's about love and grace. That's the first thing. Second thing is a supernatural experience with God's spirit. We ex expect you to sense God when you come here. And thirdly is family. We're people who want you to be part of our family. So grace, the spirit and family, I pray that you get that today. If you don't, just come and slap one of us and say, hey, why didn't you give me grace, family, spirit experience today? Give me more spirit. Whack, whack. Just whack us. That'll be completely fine. We don't mind. As a pastor, I'm used to being beaten by my sheep. It's supposed to be the other way around, isn't it? No, I'm joking. Praise God. God's Facebook is a series that we are closing today. Next week, we're starting a series called The Mad Dash. You know, on a gravestone, it's got the, day, the date you were born and the date you died as if that's the main things of your life. And your whole life, all of your experiences and everything are just a little dash in between those two dates. And we're going to talk about that dash. We're talking about experiencing all that we can out of the few years we have on earth, but also experiencing eternity while we're here in that little dash. What is the bigger view of eternity? So the mad dash is starting next week. It's going to be a great sermon series. Bring your friends. But I want to close the series on God's Facebook. Why are we talking about God's Facebook? It occurred to me, number one, just about everybody knows what Facebook is. So it's, a, it's an idea that we can relate to. It's something that we know about. Secondly, the Bible talks about God's face a lot. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. Moses said, Lord, let me see your glory. And he talked face to face and all that kind of thing. Then the Bible, thirdly, talks about God's book a lot. And James spoke brilliantly about the books that God keeps and the book of life. And we spoke about this book being a mirror. And then the fourth reason we're talking about God's Facebook is because friendship. Facebook is all about friendship. It's about people connecting with other people. And how many of you would agree that God is the author? He's the ultimate friendship person. God is all about relationship. He's all about it. Everything of God is relational. He wants to get close to us. He wants to be friends with us, not just, you know, a faraway public figure. On Facebook, you can like somebody who's famous, like Taylor Swift, but you're not friends with her, whereas God wants us to be friends with us. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, but now I call you my friends. The Bible says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. There's this whole close intimacy theme in the Bible. And so the best place to look for any kind of information about friendship and relationships is the Bible. And so we're going to close off our God's Facebook series talking about friendship. And there's a verse that should go up on the screen, and hopefully it'll just stay there for the whole of my talk today. That's Proverbs 18, 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. This is my first point today. We've got to put ourselves out there. I was listening to a, a talk on the internet this week about... Um, 
people who are reserved and their body language is reserved. They close themselves up and make themselves as small as possible. They'll put one arm under the other. They'll often put a hand on their neck. And if you ask a question, you say, who thinks this? They'll just lift their hand like this. That's reserved people who are very scared and inward looking. And then there's these power pose people. They make themselves big. They put their hands on their hips or they put their hands behind their heads and they make themselves as large as possible. And if you ask them for the answer to something, they'll lift their hand up really confidently like this. And they did the, a test on people's hormone levels and they found when people do this, their testosterone levels, which is their kind of powerful hormone, goes down and their cortisol hormone goes up, which is the stress hormone. They're very stressed and they're small. But power pose people have high testosterone and low stress levels. But now here's the kicker. They said they've done research and before going into a job interview or giving a speech, if you will just go into a bathroom or somewhere private and stand in a power pose for two minutes, you change your hormone levels. And you come out and they've done research and they found people who did this, even shy people, fared so much better in job interviews and presentations and things if they'd just done this for two minutes before talking because your body hormone levels change. Isn't that amazing? I find that absolutely bizarre. <laughs> On Facebook, what happens is if you want to be friends with someone, you can't just do this. You're going to get friend requests from people and you need to send out friend requests. And when you receive a friend request, you need to accept it. The first point of friendship, he who has friends must himself be friendly. There's got to be a putting yourself out there. You've got to say, hey, I'm not a shrinking violet. Be friends with me. You put a profile picture up. Look at me. You put a little blurb about yourself. The cool dude who never says no, or whatever you want to say. And, and you put yourself out there and you ask people to be your friends. And when they say no, you don't get offended. You just say, oh, I'll ask somebody else. There's got to be a putting ourselves out there. Is that true? If you want to be friends with other people, there's got to be a step of vulnerability and faith and an approach and a response. It's a bit like, you know, when somebody asks somebody to marry them. Did anybody see on the X Factor this week on TV, somebody asks somebody to marry them? Wasn't that amazing? I was wondering though, what if the girl doesn't want to marry the guy and it's now on public TV? I mean, that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Will you, will you, will you marry me? And the whole of, I mean, millions of people are watching on TV and she goes, oh no, no, I don't think so. It's kind of a bit of emotional blackmail. We were talking about it in our family. What will we do? What would we do, you know, if we were asked on a hugely public thing and we didn't actually want to? And my answer was, I would kneel down and whisper into their ear, I'll talk to you later about this. And then I would take the ring and say yes, just to save their face. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. What would you do? But there's got to be, there's got to be, a step of, of trying to connect. That applies to human relationships. That applies to church relationships. Folks, if we're always just with the people we're comfortable with, we'll never grow. Amen? You know, Jesus could have stayed with the Father and the Holy Spirit in His comfortable Trinity in heaven, but He came to earth for us. 
When he was on earth, again and again, he says, I must go to the other city. I must go to the other side of the lake. There are other sheep. Other, other, other. Every time he was ministering and it was going so well and miracles were happening, he would say to his disciples, come on, let's go to the next place. And they were like, come on, it's working well here. Why would we want to go to that other place? Jesus was always looking to reach others. And we've got to make that extension. We've got to realize that in God's economy, friends must make friends. We've got to step out. Even if you're a shy person, you know, some of the best friends are introverts. It's not always the loud, bullshit person who has real friendships. Some of the best friends are introverts, but they've made a connection. And so I encourage you, in church, come to church, go to life group, try and reach out to people at work and bring them to church. But even in church, go and speak to someone you don't know. Amen? I think we're an awesomely friendly church. I really do. But you know, at our church camp in May, a, a, a couple visited our, our service on the Sunday morning and they wrote to us afterwards and they said, nobody, nobody spoke to us. We loved your service. We loved everything, but nobody spoke to us. So we just left. Isn't that sad? We are the welcoming team. Amen. Really? All of us. So let's be friends. But now what about God? You know, God made a friend request when he sent Jesus. He said, my profile picture is Jesus. He showed us what he's like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He showed God's love, his compassion, his power, his truth, his wisdom, his provision, his righteousness, his forgiveness. Jesus showed God. And then Jesus hung on a cross. And what he was saying is, be my friend. I'm making a friend request. Can I ask you? Please, if you hear nothing else today, can I ask you please to consider this question. Have you responded to Jesus' friend request? You know, when satellite TV first came out in Southern Africa, their slogan was, you haven't got it till you get it. Because everybody thought television was just, you buy a TV, you switch it on, and you get the channels that you're going to get, and a lot of people didn't realize you have to sign up and register for this extra TV service and you have to pay and become a customer and then you'll get all these extra channels. People thought, why is it not just coming on all these channels? And so their slogan was, you haven't got it till you get it. Friend, Christianity is like that. Many people are born in a Christian family or a Christian nation or maybe even they go to church since they were children and they think, well, God loves me. He made me. I'm his child. Friend, you are not his friend until you accept his friend request. You haven't got it till you get it. You are not automatically a Christian. Just because your parents are Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian. It's a relationship with God where you come, just you and Jesus, and you say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I accept your friend request. Please come forgive my sins and come in and make me brand new. And he does it. And it's called being born again. Just as you have a birthday, you have a, a born again day. And you need to know that. I'm not confused about whether I'm married to my wife because I remember the day that it happened. If you're confused about whether you're a Christian, make sure today, say, Jesus, I want you to be my friend. I want you to come and wash me clean and make me brand new. And he will do it. That's the first point. Is that okay? We're all happy with that. If we want to be friends, we've got to put ourselves out there and we've got to accept and receive that friend request. My second point is we've got to be vulnerable. 
Uh, we've got to share. We've got to speak. You know, I forget. I think Grant was telling me the statistics of how many people just watch on Facebook and never post anything versus how many actually post. Can you remember, Grant? What are the percentages? Two-thirds are stalkers, he says. In other words, on Facebook, about two-thirds of people never post anything. They just watch and listen to everybody else's uh, posts. One-third post, and I reckon there's a smaller percentage who are the chronic overposters. Five times a day, it's every little detail is on there. But there's got to be a level of communication. In your Christian life, my dear friend, if your Christian life consists of attending a service once a week and saying words that somebody else has told you to say, whether it's words on the overhead screen or whether it's a liturgy or, or something that someone else has taught you, if your Christianity is simply attending something and saying words someone else has told you to say, I suspect you don't have a real friendship with Jesus because friends talk to each other. Amen? Friendship is about communication. My sister used to work for a public relations company and she had a boss who was a very harsh boss and every day he would say to her this one saying. He said, I hope I don't offend anyone. When I say the word ass, take it as meaning donkey, okay? He would say to her, do not assume, because when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. That's what he would say. Ass, you, me. Assume. You get it? He would say that every day to her. Why? Because communication is the issue. She would go to him and she would say, well, I assumed you meant this, or I assumed the client wanted this, or I assumed we should do it this way. And he would say, do not assume. You make an ass out of you and me. Friend, communication is, it's this massive, massive thing in relationships that almost none of us get right. We say things to people and we assume they've heard what we meant, but they only got a part of what we meant and they misinterpreted it. And then they assume we meant something else. They don't say to us what they assumed. And so then there's this divergence of opinions. And pretty soon we get to this place where we've got such different views. And we say, how did we get here? I thought we were talking. The answer is to talk even more. I read a, an article this week that said, out of communication between two people, only 10% is the words that you say, and 90% is your facial expression, the tone of your voice, your body language, and the context of what you're saying. If that is true, what does that say about these little lines that we write on texts or Facebook to try and communicate with each other? If words are only 10% of what we communicate, let me give you an example. My wife writes texts to me. Texting is this new thing which involves thumbs. It's an amazing thing. They say that our thumb, brain-thumb co coordination has increased so dramatically in the last 10 years because we all... I watch my kids texting. Have you seen it? It is unbelievable how quickly... I mean, we used to go on courses to learn to touch type these kids don't go on any course and they can touch type with their thumbs and they're saying words that you don't have a clue what they mean. They're all just little letters and they, they, each of them means a whole word. 
But now let me ask you this. When I'm talking face to face with you, and only 10% of my communication is the words that I say, can you imagine how bad the communication is when it's only words, it's limited to a very short number of words, and I abbreviate those words to letters? Can you imagine how the miscommunication can happen? So, the example I was going to give. I say to my wife, um, where should we go for lunch? And, I, and my autocorrect changes it, changes it to, I don't know, where should we go for launch? or so? You know how it changes things. Mary had a little lamb, has changed to Mary had a little womb. I mean, it, it just it changes things all over the place. Anyway, so where should we go for lunch? She writes back, what were you thinking? Now my brain starts spinning. And I'm trying to imagine her face and her body language and her tone of voice. Is she saying, what were you thinking, you idiot? Or is she saying, well, what were you thinking? Or she's saying, uh, what were you thinking? <laughs> so I write back and I say, okay, doesn't matter. <laughs> Can you see how the confusion comes in? And then we put in these little emoticons. Because we realize my words, I'm writing it. Even this morning I was writing a text. I can find it for you. So, I, I was asking my, I was walking to church and I was asking my wife to bring something. I said, can you bring this thing too, please? And then I thought, that sounds a bit harsh. So I put thanks, T-H-X. And then I thought, does she really get it? So then I put a little colon and a, and a bracket, which is a smile. <laughs> Why do I do that? I'm trying to communicate to her that it's not just my words, I'm happy. <laughs> it's so bizarre. We try and use little, little um, punctuation marks to, to draw our bodies. That's what we're doing. This little colon is my eyes and this bracket is my mouth. Or, or there's one with a, a winking eye or one with a tongue out. It's so bizarre. And I mean, pretty soon it's going to be using all the little bits of a keyboard to draw a body to show that I'm relaxed. I'm in a power pose or whatever it is. It gets weirder and weirder. Anyway, you get the point that on Facebook and on these devices, our communication is extremely limited and open to misunderstanding. And you know what? The Bible is full of instructions on how we should communicate with each other. I'm not going to go into it in a lot of detail. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Corrupt communication. That word corrupt means rotten. And it talks about the Bible lists several of these corrupt communications. Obviously, lying is one. Did you know the Bible says flattery is wrong? Where I say you're nice when I don't really mean it. Exaggeration. Gossip. Backbiting. Tail-bearing. Um, you know, all these different things. The Bible is murmuring, complaining, grumbling. Even, even a lack of faith. You know, when the ten spies came back from the, prom from the promised land, 
uh, in uh, Joshua's time, and they said, we can't go in. That's corrupt communication. If I say something that brings your faith down to a lower level. The Bible says, don't put a stumbling block in anyone's way. If I say something that causes your Christianity to stumble and, st and struggle... That's corrupt communication. The words we speak are so important. The Bible says we'll be judged by every idle word that we speak. Our words are like, the Bible says, a flame that sets a whole forest on fire. Our tongue is like a rudder that sets a whole ship on course. The Bible says life and death are in the power of our tongues. Communication is so important. We've got to share, we've got to share, we've got to share. And the one thing I want to leave you with on this point is um, assuming. Don't make an ass out of you and me. There's a lovely verse in 1 Corinthians 13 talking about love, and it's usually read at weddings. I'm going to read it to you in the NIV. It says, love is patient, love is kind. Just think about this from the point of view of communications. Patient and kind. Patient and kind. I'm not in a hurry I don't jump to conclusions. I'm patient with you. Even if you make a mistake, I'm kind. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Does not envy, boast, or proud. In other words, I'm not just all about myself. You know, the problem with Facebook is it can easily become all about myself. You know what is the most common photograph taken now? Selfie. Self. -y. Self. Me. Look at me. Self. It's all about self. It's so self-centered. 1 Corinthians 13 goes to say, it does not dishonor others, or it's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Even if somebody does something wrong to me, I don't get angry quickly. I don't keep a record of wrongs. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Can I say to you that something is not loving if it's not the truth? We sometimes think it's loving to say to a person, oh, I love you, I love you, even if it's a lie. Even if what we're saying about them or to them is a lie. Even if we say, it's okay if you, if you take those drugs and, and whatever, it's fine, it won't harm you. That's not loving. It sounds loving, but if it's not the truth, it's not loving. And this is the, the one I want to focus on. Verse 7. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When I hear something, communication about somebody, let's just say my wife sends me a text that says, what were you thinking? I can assume the worst and make an ass out of her and me. I can assume wrongly. I can jump to conclusions. I can say, oh, that's rude. Or I can protect, trust, hope and persevere. In other words, I can say, I'm sure there's a good explanation. I assume the best. I don't know all the facts. I give her the benefit of the doubt. I protect. I trust. I hope the best. And if we do that, and we overshare, if we communicate more and more and more, even if we think we've said it, we say it again, and we say, do you understand what I'm saying? And we, we gentle with each other, and we try to communicate then we will have good relationships. Sharing is the second part. The third part 
is dealing with conflicts and offences. Jesus said, Woe to the world because of offence, for offences must come. But woe to the man by whom the offence comes. Offences will come. A friend of mine on Facebook is a lovely man, and he wrote a post. He said, Today I was looking in my Facebook friends list for a very dear long-time friend of mine that I wanted to make contact with. And he noticed that his friend wasn't there on his friend list anymore. So he wrote a long post in Facebook saying, what have I done? Why did I offend this person? Could, it, you know, could this person not have told me that they'd unfriended me? How rude, how horrible. Does anyone out there care for me? Anyway, a lot of his friends replied, I did a little heart emoji to show that I love him. Other friends put a smiley face. Someone else put a teary face. Someone put an angry face. And people wrote, don't worry, buddy, we love you. Oh, there might be a good explanation. Anyway, right at the end of this, about 24 hours later, another friend of his wrote. And he said, hey, buddy, I just looked through my friends list. You're not on it anymore. Did you unfriend me? My friend wrote back, he said, I didn't unfriend you. It must have been a glitch. Maybe when I cancelled my Facebook account and reopened it, some of my friends dropped out. Maybe when I changed my computer server, something happened. Maybe it just was a mistake. Maybe I clicked the wrong button. And then suddenly the light dawned on him. And he wrote this post. So what have I learned from this? <laughs> Number one, I am sensitive. Number two, Always assume an innocent explanation until it is shown to be otherwise. Number three, I get embarrassed. Number four, Facebook must not be used as a diary. And number five, I'm not immune to doing or saying stupid stuff. Offenses will happen. But the Bible gives us a process for dealing with offense in Matthew 18. It says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Can you all just say with me the word alone? alone. Can we say it again? Alone. alone. Do we do this? I venture to say that when somebody offends us, we do anything but going to the person alone. We tell our other friends. We tell our spiritual counselors. We put it on Facebook. We tell our husband or wife. We get angry. We assume all sorts of things. And the Bible says, go to him alone. Now that takes guts and courage. And it's not easy, but it's a sign of Christian maturity. In Ephesians 4, when it talks about us growing up as a Christian body and being linked together and growing into Christ, it says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up into him who is the head. The sign of a mature Christian and the sign of a mature church is we learn to speak the truth in love. And it's not easy. It takes a grown-up attitude to go to someone and say, listen, when you said, what were you thinking? I assumed this, and I might have been wrong. What did you mean? We come with kindness, patience, not easily angered. We don't keep a record of wrong. We're looking for the truth. We protect, we trust, we hope, we persevere. We do all those things in love, and we ask them humbly, I think you meant this. And I guarantee you, if we do that, 99% of our problems would be solved. 
But if we go to somebody else, and then somebody else, and then somebody else, and then somebody else, the Bible says we divide brothers. And it says that in the Bible that God hates it. Somebody who divides brothers. It's, you know, gossip and, and talking behind each other's backs is so damaging. I found out, like, after 15 or 20 years that someone had spread a rumor about me 15 years ago that was completely untrue. And the number of people that must have heard that rumor, I mean, it boggles my mind to try and think of how many people told other people and told other people. And you just think, what damage has been done just because somebody didn't come to me and say, is this true? And I could have said no, or, or I could have said, yes, I'm sorry, but they didn't. And so this rumor spreads. How many of us have been damaged by a rumor spoken about us? You know, my sister died of cancer a couple of years ago, and I went to visit her just before she died, and I asked her what had happened. And she said, two years ago, somebody started spreading gossip and lies about her, and it just spread, and she was ostracized by her whole community. Everybody turned against her, and it wasn't true, and the stress, she was a very sensitive lady, the stress just ate her up, and it manifested, I believe, in a sickness that killed her. I'm telling you, it is not a small thing to speak badly about somebody else, or to harbor it in ourselves. The Bible gives us an instruction, it says, go to him alone. If you can't resolve it, take somebody else with you. If that, you still can't get the whole church to... to try and help you. But don't talk about people behind their backs. Okay, my last point is we've then got to carry on and be outward looking. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, Paul says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, he's saying we never get to the stage where we've got enough friends. If we as a church become a closed unit where we're happy with how many people we are, how many friends we are, our life groups, just the nice cozy little group, we have diverged from God's idea of friendship and relationship. It's always, as I said at the beginning, others, outward looking, bring them in. And that's why we're going to two services. That's why we do Alpha, street witnessing. That's why we're welcoming and all these different things. So can I ask us to stand please and we're going to pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Please can I ask you just to focus on the Lord. Just imagine you are in the throne room. We're standing in front of God's throne. The Bible says we have access. We can come boldly into his throne room. And I'm going to ask you now, while your head is bowed, your eyes are closed, have you accepted God's friend request? If you say, no, I'm not sure if I have. I've just kind of wandered into Christianity. I'm going to ask you today to make sure, to put up your hand, and I'm going to pray a prayer with you, and we're going to make sure that you are on God's friend list. So if that's you, and you say, I want to be sure today, everyone's head is bowed, everyone's eyes closed, but God is watching. Please would you lift your hand right now if you want to be sure, and I will pray with you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just lift your hand high, and we'll pray with you. Anyone else? Yes, yes, thank you. Right, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. Please, those who've raised your hands, say it out loud, but everyone else, let's say it out loud. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you can forgive my sins. And I can become your friend. Please wash me now. Come into my heart. Make me brand new.
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, let's just stop just there and just give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you that you accept us as friends. Thank you even today, Lord, for people coming into that relationship, like the prodigal son coming back to the father who runs and wraps his arms around them. Thank you, God, that today you have made new friends and that they will never be taken out of your hand. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, can I ask you now just to say in your own hearts, Lord Jesus, am I doing friendship your way or the world's way? All the things that that have been spoken about today, am I doing things God's way or the world's way? And I'm going to ask you if there's something that is spoken to you that you need to change just to make a decision right now and say lord i'm not going to assume i'm not going to talk about people i'm not going to be self-absorbed i'm going to not be selfish and inward looking anymore i'm going to be outward looking whatever it is just say lord from today i'm going to do friendship your way just pray that prayer right now draw a line in the sand today thank you lord jesus thank you lord And now, friends, I'm going to ask us all to pray for us as a church. Lord Jesus, would you make us a lighthouse of friendship and love to the world around us? Lord God, I pray that people would sense family love coming out of this place and out of each one of us. Lord, may we always be outward looking and with outstretched arms, I pray. Lord God, please, would you bring lost and hurting people into relationship with you through this family of believers. Please, God, do something supernatural in our midst. Make us the family you want us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.